0: Good to see you all. <clears throat> sorry, good to see you all this morning. Glad you made it out to worship with us. We want to welcome you to Union Baptist Church. Uh, we are glad you're here. Our focus this month is as you know, we've been talking about the, uh, the cards that we've got out there, so we're kind of running out of time on that. So if you uh, would do us a favor if you uh, are, have been a member here and want to continue in that, go ahead and fill out one of these cards. It's uh, helping us. We're trying to clean up our membership role. It's it's been over 300 people and obviously we don't have that many people that are here. So uh, we're just trying to work through that process. And this is one of those steps in that process to make sure that that's right. The other thing it's doing is it's helping to make sure that we've got good contact information so that we can do a better job of keeping up with people and making contact and all that. So if you would, and you haven't done it already, grab one of these, fill it out. And then turn it in out there on the table in the, uh, in the lobby. We're going to read this morning from the book of Second Peter. Probably should have told you that before I started talking. but we are going to read from Second Peter chapter one. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 11. And I, I, just something that I want you to keep your, your mind on as we read through this text and we kind of get into the heart of it, is that there, there are things that we have to do as part of our walk with the Lord things that we just need to, to focus on, ways that we need to think and live, uh, and it takes effort. It, it's not just an automatic, we kind of slip into salvation and we kick it into cruise control. Uh, we have to make sure that we are diligent, and it is hard work. The scriptures use the terms perseverance, and I, I don't know if this is really right or not, but what I see when I look at the word perseverance is the prefix per, which means like, uh, with or for or whatever I'm going to mess that completely up but uh, by day or, or, or you know you think about a per diem or, and all that and then severe severance there's it's a, it the word tells us that there's suffering involved that it's a hardship to persevere it takes hard it, it's a strain it's a stress it's it's tough and that's what we're called to as Christians is to persevere with severity it's 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 a tough walk that we have to walk and so we're going to look at that here, but the, the, the glorious truth behind all of that is this, that God promises to be with us every step of the way. He never leaves us. Uh, he never sleeps or slumbers, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning. He is constantly there with us. And as Paul learned whenever he had the thorn in the flesh and he begged God to take it away, and God said, that's not my plan for you, Paul, it's going to stay Paul rejoiced that in his weakness, Christ's strength was made even more glorious. And so as we persevere, as we're called to faithfulness, we need to learn to delight, not in the days that are necessarily stress-free, but in the ways that Christ rescues us from all of our afflictions. And so let's look at this together this morning. Peter writes... Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. That's a lot. That's hard. But we can do this. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, as we come this morning, we rejoice in your word. God, we rejoice in, in the power that it possesses, but we rejoice, O oh God, even more in what we read here from, from the Apostle Peter that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness, that we have a, a, a heavenly supply of resources to do exactly what you have called us to do. We admit and confess that in ourselves, God, we are weak and naturally it cannot be done. We cannot persevere. We cannot do any of the things that Peter pointed us to here, God, in in living the virtuous life. Uh, We will not have faith or virtue or self-control or steadfastness or godliness or brotherly affection or love, God, without the help of the Spirit. But blessed be the name of God, you have supplied your people with the Holy Spirit. And so now we have uh, a, a helper Helping us to walk faithfully, helping us to understand the word. Changing our heart and its affections and its longings so that we no longer want the things of the world. So that we no longer think like the world thinks and, and, and have a philosophy of this age. But God, our minds are changed and our hearts are changed and our affections are changed. And so the way that we live is ultimately changed by the presence of the Holy Spirit that you give your people. And we praise you for that. We thank you for that. We rejoice in that this morning because you are God and you love your people and you are with your people, and you sustain your people. And as Peter said in his other letter, we are kept by faith through the power of God. And so we rejoice that 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 you keep our faith, Lord, that, that our hand clings to you in faith and that your hand is wrapped around that hand, keeping us by your power so that we reach our destination and we praise you and thank you for these things. I pray that as we gather this morning, that we would sing and rejoice and, and worship with an overflow, God, reflecting on the truths that we've learned in Sunday school, the truths that have been... Uh, uh, set out in this text here, and that you would help us, God, to not restrain worship, but God, to open our mouths and freely give praise and glory to the God to whom praise and glory is due. You are a great God, and you are to be greatly praised, and we ask that you would help us to be free to do that this morning. In Christ's name and for his glory, amen. Pray with me.
1: Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we come with hearts that are truly worshipful because you have set us free. Lord, we, we praise you that you've given us freedom from sin. You, you've you delivered us from the dominion and the power of sin in our lives, and we praise you for that. We praise you that, Lord, you've given us freedom from the penalty of, of our sin. We, we thank you, oh God, that we can know right now that we are are set free, and that we have been made right with you. Lord, we praise you for the, for the freedom that salvation gives. Lord, and we long for that day when we will experientially know this freedom in a very real way. We, we pray that you would come quickly, Lord, that we, would, that we would know the freedom of being set free from, from this physical body uh, that, that is corrupted by sin. And uh, we long to be clothed upon, to have our, our uh, spiritual bodies given to us. We, we pray for that day to come quickly. Lord, we come now at this time of, of offering, and we, we pray for your blessing upon it. We, we pray that you would move us to be generous people. Uh, that, that we would give freely and, and abundantly, Lord, that, that the work that you have, are doing might continue and that it might flourish and that we might be able to support others. Lord, we, we lift up the, the missionaries that we do support. We think of Mark and Parker Phillips, God, and we continue to lift them up to you and pray that you have blessed, this, blessed them in this tumultuous time that they face uh, in, in Africa there. Lord, I pray that you'd give them safety, I pray that you'd watch over them but more than that Lord I pray that that the gospel would go forth clearly and boldly there in 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 spite of the fact that there's persecution in spite of the fact that there's danger God just give them courage and not only them but all the missionaries that they work with there uh, in in the great bend of Africa God we ask now for your blessing on the remainder of our time here we we pray uh, that this might be a fruitful time together as we look to your word and as we seek to worship you. Uh, we, we pray that it would all be done in a way that is pleasing and, and gives honor and glory to you. you. You're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Take your Bibles this morning and turn once more to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to be looking this morning at at verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You know, it's never a good thing when you neglect something that's important. In fact, usually if you neglect something important, it usually leads to, to big problems. I've, I've found that in my, my life. Uh, so if you neglect caring for your car or for your house, just doing the basic maintenance that, that you need to do on a regular basis, uh, it's going to lead to bigger problems, right? If, if you don't ever change the oil... You're going to have mechanical problems with your car. If you've got a small leak in your house and you don't take care of it right away, it's going to lead to decay and, and to bigger problems. Same is true in our relationships. If you neglect relationships, they'll, they'll fall apart. How many marriages crumble because husbands and wives fail to put any in any effort to work on or to improve their relationships things things don't tend to get better they don't take tend to take care of themselves you, you've got to uh give time and attention to them what about your your health your health if you neglect your health it can actually be tragic even even deadly uh, you know I was looking just thinking about this and and I thought I'm going to look that up and and see you know many cancers even cancers that we can get are survivable if they're caught early enough, if you don't neglect your health, if you have the proper screenings uh, and and you watch out for the kind of warning signs that that perhaps you you might see. Uh, many cancers are, are even uh, survivable. Colon cancer has a 91% survival rate if caught early, 11% if not. Ovarian cancer 90% to 28% uh, if you don't catch it early. Breast and, and prostate cancer uh, has nearly a uh, 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 ninety-eight or to hundred uh, percent survival rate if caught early. You see, if you if you don't neglect your health, but if you neglect those things, if you don't have the proper screenings or you don't pay attention uh, to perhaps some of the warning signs, uh, the end result of that can be can be tragic. And listen, this morning, while it is important not to neglect your physical health or your relationship or even your personal property there is something far greater that you must not neglect, namely your salvation, your spiritual condition. If it's important that you take care of your property, if it's important that you take care of your relationship, if it's important that you take care of your physical health, let me tell you, it's even far greater and more important that you not neglect your spiritual health. That's what the writer is warning us about here this morning. The, The writer is concerned that the reader's that, that he's writing to, and perhaps maybe some of us here this morning are, are neglecting their salvation and are beginning to drift away from the Lord. We've talked about the context, but I'll just remind you quickly, his, his aim in the book of Hebrews is to plead with people not to drift away from the Lord, not to fall away from the Lord, but to persevere. And he does that in two ways. Do you remember this now? We're rehearsing it, so hopefully you have a good handle on the book of Hebrews. The the first way is is by showing you how great Jesus is, how how he is greater and he is more superior than anything else. And so because he is so great, you you ought to persevere, you ought to continue to follow Jesus Christ. Don't drift away from him. But then there's the second way that that he encourages us and that is by warning and he says essentially this, if you reject Christ, if you drift away from Christ, if you turn away from him, there is no salvation, but instead you'll face the judgment of God. There are, there are five passages in the book of Hebrews that we call warning passages. This is the first of those warning passages that essentially say that. Don't turn away from Christ. In turning away from Christ, you're turning away from the only means of salvation that you have, and you will incur the judgment of God. Those two passages usually work in tandem. They they work together. So, So it is to say this, look how great Jesus is. Look what he's provided. Look what he has accomplished on your behalf. Look at who he is. And also, don't turn away from him. Look how great he is. And there's a warning that if you turn away from him, you will face judgment. That's that's in fact exactly what's happening uh, in in this passage, you know, from our time in chapter one. And then we jumped ahead to uh, verses 15 and, and following or through verse 15, nine through 15 last week. And and you know the argument has been that Jesus is greater than the angels. That's that's what he's pointing them to. Uh, Jesus is greater than the angels because he's the full and final revelation of God to man. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's greater than the angels because uh, he's not just a heavenly spiritual being, but he's the exact imprint of the nature of God. He is the Son of God, God himself in the flesh. He's greater than the angels because he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the one who's made purification for our sins. And he's the God man who has regained our dominion over this world and, and is reshaping and remaking uh, this world that we live in. He is the eternal and unchanging one. He's greater than the angels. And now you see in, in verse 2, it begins with a, or verse 1 of chapter 2, it begins with a therefore. Because this is who Jesus is, now let me warn you, and here's how these things work in connection. Jesus is great, now warning, don't turn away from him. If you turn away from Christ, if you neglect this salvation, you will incur the judgment of God. And he does that. You remember, we we talked about how the angels uh, were seen to be instrumental in bringing the Old Testament law. Uh, they, they were, uh, seen as instrumental with the book of Acts. Stephen talks about that. The book of Galatians, the apostle Paul mentions the fact that, that they were sort of the, the intermediary that, that brought the law to the Old Testament people. So in our passage, this is, this is the argument here. When you, when you think about the Old Testament law and the fact that the angels were the, were the instrument that brought that to the people in the Old Testament. And that was a great thing. The Old Testament law was good. It's wonderful. Uh, It was God's word to his people at that time. And and with that word also came a a warning that came with that message. The the warning that came with that message is if you reject this law, judgment's going to come upon you, right? This is my law. Walk in it. If you walk in this law, then, then I will bless you. I will give you this land to inherit. I will make sure that that the rain comes and that you have plenty of food and I will take care of your children and my blessing will be upon you as a people if you keep this law. But there was also curses that came with that law. If you reject this law, if you turn away from this law, judgment's going to come. I'll send nations in to defeat you and to destroy your land and you will face my judgment if you reject the law. So this is the argument. Angels brought the Old Testament law. There was a judgment for rejecting that law. Jesus has brought this new covenant. He's brought the gospel. He's brought this greater message. He's greater than the angels. He brought a greater message than the angels. So if you reject Christ, there certainly will be a judgment. The people of the Old Testament, if they rejected the law, there was a judgment that came upon them. So what do you think will happen if you reject Christ? it will be a, an even greater judgment. You see that in verses two and three. That's that's kind of the flow of the arguments. Look at verse two. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, that's, that's the Old Testament law, it, it proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribu- retribution. In other words, if you failed to keep the law, there was a punishment and a judgment for it. Now here's verse three. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? They didn't escape God's judgment for breaking the Old Testament law. What will happen to us if we reject Christ? Christ is greater than the Old Testament law. So don't think that you can reject Christ, that you can drift away from him, that you can neglect him and not incur any kind of judgment from God. If if there was judgment in the Old Testament, there will certainly be judgment now because Christ is vastly superior than all of the Old Testament. That's the argument. It's from the lesser to to the greater. Something greater is here. Therefore, the consequences of our neglect and and rejection of this greater thing are are certain. You know, the the greater something is, the greater the consequences are, right? Uh, You know, if you don't take care of your car, uh, you're, you're going to have some car trouble, that's, that's bad, right? But if you don't care, take care of your physical body, right, th- those consequences are life and death, right? So, so the greater the neglect, the greater the thing that you neglect, the greater the consequences for neglecting it. If they neglected the Old Testament law and there was judgment from God, you reject Christ, neglect him, turn away from him, judgment will be even greater, So we want to look at this. In particular this morning, I want to focus in on verse 3. Do you see verse 3? We kind of know the flow of thought and the context here now. Look at verse 3. These are very poignant words. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's the question we want to think about this morning. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And so I want to think about three things this morning. The first is the greatness of salvation. Secondly, the neglect of salvation. And thirdly, the penalty for neglecting salvation. So first of all, the greatness of our salvation. He invites us in verse number one, he says we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, which is the gospel of our salvation. And then verse three, he he talks about how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. So he's inviting us to, to think about this and to contemplate the greatness of our salvation. We need to give greater heed to it. We need to focus on it. We need to be intent and to be fixed on it because in seeing the greatness of our salvation, we should be led away from uh, drifting from that salvation. So we are to pay much closer attention to it. In verse 3, we're to not neglect it. So what, what is it about this salvation? What is it about our salvation that makes it so great? What, what is it that stands out and that the writer would say, look, this, this is such a great thing that if you reject it, if you neglect it, if you turn from it, you will face the judgment of God. What is it about our salvation that, that makes this so wonderful? And we could go all over the Bible and think about the greatness of our salvation, but but I think the best thing to do is just think in our own context, in the immediate context, and in the book of Hebrews, what is it on the writer's mind that stands out to him about the greatness of our salvation? I would say this, first of all, is the greatness of Jesus' humility. The greatness of Jesus' humility the gospel came about because Jesus was humble enough to come and and take on humanity. Chapter two verse nine says that he became a little lower than the angels. In other words, he he became like one of us. He took on humanity. Chapter two fourteen, and I'm not going to read each of these for the sake of time. I just want to point them out, and you might want to write them down. But chapter two verse fourteen, it says that he t- partook of flesh and blood in order to save us. In other words, he had to become like us in order to redeem us and save us. What humility it is that Christ would do that. We've said that he's the radiance of the glory of God. We said that he was the exact imprint of the nature of God. What humility it is that would lead him to step away from that and to take on humanity to save me and to save you. As undeserving as we are, what a great salvation that we have and it's great because of the humility of our savior to to say that christ became a servant is is quite an understatement if philippians 2 5 through 7 says that he did not count equality with god a thing to be cling to a thing to be held on to but he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men the way that he became a servant is by becoming a man. That, that was how he became a servant. But, but to say that he became a servant is is quite an understatement. We, we could barely imagine, could you imagine a king or someone in, in a great and powerful position uh, leaving all of that and setting all of that aside and, and becoming a servant in this life? It's hard to imagine that anyone would ever do that in this life. And and yet Christ has done something infinitely greater than that in in the fact that he left heaven, that he laid aside, at least for a time, the the rights and prerogatives of his deity and that he took on humanity to save us. What an an amazing thing to think about. In this instance, we're, we're not just talking about a king becoming a servant, but the king of all kings becoming a slave of all. We're talking about the all-glorious one laying aside his glory. We're talking about the all-powerful one making himself weak. The omnipresent one confining himself. The infinite one becoming finite. The self-existent one becoming, being born. The self-sufficient one being nursed by a mother. The omniscient one confessing his ignorance. The holy one eating with common sinners. This is a great salvation because we have a Humble Savior, the the humility that he displayed is so great. It's a great salvation also because of the great sacrifice. The story doesn't end with the condescension of Christ and just taking on humanity. That would be wonderful enough that God became a man. That that would be remarkable enough. But, But you see, there was a purpose in him taking on humanity. The purpose in him taking on humanity was actually to die as a man for you and for me. And and that's what we see as well in in Hebrews chapter 2. We we saw that in Hebrews 2 verse 7, therefore he had to be made like his brother's That is, you and me, his brothers and sisters, he had to be made like us. In other words, he had to take on flesh and blood, just like we are flesh and blood. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And what does that mean, that he would be our high priest? Well, it clarifies to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The reason he took on humanity, there was a purpose, there was an end goal to all of that. And the end goal was to die for you, to be the, as Jared talked about during our communion last week, the propitiating sacrifice, the wrath absorbing sacrifice for you. You see, your sin has drawn the anger and the wrath of God and Jesus took on humanity so that he could absorb God's wrath for you. What a wonderful thing. Consider that in his dying, chapter one, verse three says, he made purification for our sins. You see, our, our, our sin makes us unclean. It taints us. It, 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 makes, us, uh, it, it makes us unclean, unapproachable to, to God. And Jesus has purified us. He's washed us clean by dying from us. Chapter 2, verse 9 says that he has tasted death for everyone. Your sin deserves death. Your sin deserves the judgment of God. The wages of sin, Paul tells us in Romans, is death. And Jesus tasted death for you so that you don't have to die but can have eternal life. This is a great salvation that we have. The greatness of this salvation is also seen in its certainty. Uh, Our salvation is certain. You know, there there are a lot of promises in this life that don't come through, aren't there? There are a lot of things that people say, I'll do this for you, and they don't do it. But this salvation that we have is a certain salvation. We can see it right there in verses 3 and 4 of our text, where, where God has confirmed this message. He gave it by the Lord, by, by Christ. He, he have confirmed it by his apostles and and pouring out miraculous signs and gifts to say this is true this message is true it's certain because it's been verified by God it's certain because God is faithful chapter 6 of Hebrews tells us that God has sworn to save us he's made an oath and it's impossible for him to lie and therefore we have this promise of salvation as a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. God has promised to save you and he will. And, and he will follow through with it. It's certain. It's also a certain promise because Jesus has effectually secured it. it it's not in doubt. It's not waiting to see if everything works out. Jesus has the already done everything necessary for your salvation. Chapter nine, verse 12 says that Jesus entered once for all times into the holy places, not by the means of 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 the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Your redemption is eternal. It's secure. He's done everything that needs to be done for you to be saved. And that's why chapter 10, verse 14 says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. Do you, do you have that kind of salvation this morning? Do you have a secure salvation? I, I hope I'm, I hope that I'm speaking to believers who know that they are secure, that they are right with God, that they have an eternal redemption. You see, your salvation doesn't depend upon you. Therefore, it doesn't change. It doesn't come and go. He's done everything. And he ever lives, it's certain because he ever lives to guarantee it. Chapter 7, verses 24 and 25 says that he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Even as we stumble, even as we fall, the blood of Christ continues to plead for us. Our salvation is wonderful. It's a great salvation because It is secure. Well, all of that should lead us to the second point, the neglect of salvation, that the point of this warning is that you don't treat something so great with contempt or disdain we meditate and think about how great this salvation is. We don't want to minimize our salvation. We don't want to lose focus on it. We don't want to treat it as something trivial or something that can be ignored while we focus on other things. It is something that is worthy of our utmost attention and priority. It's something to which we must be completely devoted. That's that's what he's encouraging to us to do chapter 2 verse 1 therefore we must pay much closer attention and and verse 3 is is stated in the negative but in the positive we we would say we don't want to neglect this great salvation don't don't neglect it pay much greater attention what is the warning here What, what will happen if we don't do this well the danger is in verse number one do you see it Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Lest we drift away from it. And verse 3, lest we get to the place where we are neglecting our salvation. And let me encourage you, you read those words and they can, they can sound kind of like, well, I'm drifting. You know, they, they don't sound final. They don't sound complete, but, but you ought to hear finality and completion there. When he talks about drifting away from the Lord, he's ultimately talking about apostasy. He's talking about uh, a a very real danger uh, that, that we might fully and finally reject Christ. See, I'm, I'm afraid as we read these texts, I told you there are five warning passages in the book of Hebrews, and as we come to these texts, I, I'm a little afraid that we might easily minimize these warnings by, by kind of making them safe and, and, and using church language like, well, backsliding. We talk about someone who's backsliding as if they're kind of in not a great position, but but they're certainly still secure. Everything's good. We've got sort of the bad theology of once-saved always save which which leads us to say things like well I'm drifting a little bit but but I know I'm completely fine I I know I don't have anything to worry about I I know I'm neglecting this great salvation that God has given to me but but I'm still good don't worry about me preacher I I I know that I know that I haven't been to church in three years I, I I know that I never read my bible I know that there's no evidence in my life that I'm following Christ but but I'm good right no, the, the warning here, when he talks about drifting away and neglecting your salvation, he, he's talking about the warning that you might fully and finally reject reject Christ. This is a final and a complete drifting away from the, the Lord. Tom Schreiner, in his commentary on Hebrews, says this, the, the remainder of the letter, especially the remaining warning passages, clarifies that the drifting away described here is not a temporary defection from the truth. Drifting away is another way of describing apostasy, the denial and rejection of the gospel. So you might be asking yourself the question this morning, can people drift away from the gospel? Can they commit apostasy? Let let me say this. The Bible teaches that a person who trusts in Christ, truly trusts in Christ, And is saved will never come under the judgment. Our our salvation is certain as as much as it depends upon Christ. It is certain. Yet the Bible also makes it abundantly clear that many people profess to have faith in Christ and later turn back from that profession of faith, demonstrating that they never had real and, and authentic faith. You remember Jesus taught this in the parable of the sower and the seed. The gospel is preached, the, the seed is sown, and some of it sprouts up for a little bit, but it's on rocky ground, right? And so the sun comes out and it dies off. And Jesus is saying that's not a real and authentic conversion there. Only the seed that fell on good soil and that grew and that bore fruit, that, That's the only. those are the only people who were converted who had genuine faith. The, the mark of real and authentic faith is that it perseveres. It continues. It lasts the, the test of time. How do you know that your faith in Jesus Christ is real? If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you will certainly be saved. But how do you know that you have real faith in Jesus Christ? Well, well, the greatest test is that your faith continues. That it, that you don't turn away from your faith. that that you don't turn back, but that you persevere. So this warning is not meant to call into question the certainty of God's salvation, but it is to cause you to examine the validity of your faith. Jesus will certainly save to the uttermost all those who draw near to God through him, but you must draw near to God through him. Those who drift away or who completely and finally neglect Christ will not Be saved. Let me give you a word of caution. You might say, I I would never do that. Again, you you may want to take solace in the fact that you say, I I would never reject Christ in that kind of final way. I might drift a little bit, but but I wouldn't just walk away completely from the Lord. Let me just give you a a few cautions here. First of all, drifting is a process. I I said, when when he talks about drifting and neglect, he's talking about the, the final state of it. He's talking about the end, the definitive action when you reject Christ. But, but in those words, don't you hear a process? Don't you hear something that takes some time, neglect? Like, like we talk about when you neglect a leak. I, I mean, typically a leak doesn't just cause all this damage in one rain, right? It's over time when it's not taken care of or rust or your health. Neglect gives you the idea that it's something that you do over a period of time. Also drifting away. You don't just instantly drift away. Nobody, few people just wake up one day and say, you know, I'm not a Christian anymore. It's a gradual process. That's what's conveyed in those ideas, slipping away or drifting away and neglect. And let me just tell you from my experience of being in the church and being a pastor, I can tell you it almost never happens that anyone just walks up Sunday morning afterward and say, I've been coming to church every day, reading my Bible, praying, praying, serving the Lord, but I'm just done and I'm, I'm walking away from Christ. That that almost never happens. What happens is a gradual process in which people begin to slowly drift away from the Lord, step by step, day by day, minute decision by minute decision that ultimately leads them away from the Lord. And that is what is warned about here. The danger of this process is that it can happen almost without notice almost without a conscious decision you, you you never wake up and just say that's it I'm, I'm leaving Christ but drifting is that way you ever been in the ocean right And you're just you're just floating I, don't, I just like to float out in the ocean you know uh, I'm very buoyant <laughs> but but you just kind of close your eyes and and you're drifting along in the ocean and next thing you know you open up your eyes and you're really far from the shore, and that can be a dangerous thing, right? You can get some undercurrent, and it can, it can pull you out away, too far away from the shore. But that, that's the way drifting happens. You don't, you don't say, you know what, I'm just going to swim as hard as I can and get as far away from the shore. You never make that decision. But, but you turn around, you open your eyes, and you've drifted a long way from the shore. That's the way it is in in our faith. For for some people, your inattentiveness, your inattentiveness is the only decision you have to make. You don't have to make a decision, I'm leaving Christ, I'm walking away from the faith, I'm leaving the church. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is be inattentive to your faith. That's the warning here. All, All you have to do in the ocean is just close your eyes, just be inattentive, you'll drift away. Same thing with your faith. For most people, in, in, in our setting, their, their passivity and neglect is the only decision they have to make. What, what does this process look like? Well, it's different for different people. What does it look like to drift away from the Lord? Here, here are some common things that happen, though. It, it often begins with no hunger uh, for the Lord, no desire for, for the Lord, no desire for his word, no desire for prayer. You don't really want to be in worship there's, there's no fight. Uh, there's, there's no active fight going on with sin. You just become more passive. You, your warfare that you're in, you just kind of sit down. You're, I'm tired of fighting this sin. I'm just going to kind of indulge it a little bit. So, so those things begin to cool. And then other things begin to take precedence. Soon everything is a valid excuse for not reading your Bible or not praying or not attending church. And then sin begins to gain a foothold. What what used to be a temptation now has become a way of life for you. We find after this then reasons or excuses to kind of explain why am I like this? Why why am I not following the, the Lord? Well, I'm not sure I even like that church. Someone offended me, or you know you don't have to be a, a, a you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Or I, I heard something that made me question uh, the truth of the Bible. You know, I just somebody mentioned it to me. I don't, I don't really want to investigate. No, I, I wouldn't want to read a book or study or, or kind of find out if there's an answer to that question. I just want to let that kind of simmer. And that's it's going to be my excuse for why I am the way I am, why I'm drifting away from the Lord. And then you just throw all of that into a crock pot and you let it simmer for a few months or maybe a couple of years and you turn around next thing you know you have drifted from the Lord you see the ingredients I talked about this in a a sermon not too long ago uh, about uh, walking away from the Lord and you, you see the ingredients then right again you just put these in the crock pot let them simmer you have apathy apathy and anger anger leads to absence and absence leads to acclamation. I'm just fine with being the way that I am. I, I no longer have a desire to pursue the Lord. This is the other thing. You, you can drift from the Lord and from this great salvation without, seemingly, without a, a conscious decision. But you can also drift from the Lord and, and, and neglect your salvation without a, a conscious declaration. You see, your life tells the true story more so than than what your profession is. There are many people who have drifted from the Lord, but who would still adamantly claim that they're Christians, who would adamantly claim, of course, I'm following Christ. Yes, I'm a Christian. I have never rejected Christ. But the the reality is your life tells much more than, than your profession does, right? You can drift from the Lord all the while you're saying, yes, I'm still a Christian. Yes, I still believe yes, I'm still trusting in Christ. I haven't rejected Christ. You can drift while you're continuing to profess Christ. You, you can do it without a conscious decision, seemingly, and you can do it without a conscious declaration. When your life begins to display that you're no longer, no, no longer following Christ, it is clear whether no matter what your profession says, Jesus said that by your fruits, by their fruits you shall know them. Not just by... Whatever you say, you remember, and I, I've probably quoted this passage as much as any passage in the time that I've been here as pastor, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, I'm a Christian. Oh, I, 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 no, I'm still, I'm still believing and trusting in Christ. Yes, I, I'm still a Christian. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who will enter the kingdom of heaven then? The one who does the will of my father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we've done this and we've done that. We've prophesied and so on. And then I will declare to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Titus, the apostle Paul, refers to people who profess God, who profess to know God. There's that profession again, our words They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. See, you can profess one thing, and your life indicates something very different. And James says in in the book of James that faith without works is dead. So you can drift from the Lord all the while still maintaining some kind of verbal profession. So this is what is warned here. Don't neglect your salvation. Don't drift, but, but instead, give greater heed to. Pay much closer attention to the things that you have heard. You need to be diligent. As Jared read from 2 Peter, we need to make every effort to follow Christ and to continue to live for him. Thirdly, and finally, in closing, we, we see the penalty for neglecting salvation. So we see the greatness of salvation, the neglect of salvation, and thirdly, the penalty for neglecting salvation. And verse number three, do you see what he says here? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You've heard what Christ has done for you. you you've heard all the stops that God has pulled out, the great humility, the great sacrifice of our savior, all of the benefits that he's lavished on us, the, the fact that he's continuing to intercede for us, all of these things, you hear that. And if you neglect that, if you turn away from it, if you drift away from Christ, you see the warning here is there is no escape. It's a question. It's put in a question, how shall we escape? If the Old Testament saints didn't escape when they rejected the law, how will we escape if we neglect this great salvation that is far greater the culmination of everything that the old testament pointed to how will we escape right and it's an understood answer isn't it it's it's an understood answer that you will not escape the judgment of god if you turn away from christ if you drift from him how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation you see this is not just a a passage that's telling us hey come on guys we got to do a little bit better we got to try a little harder it's it's something far greater than that much more severe than that that it says this if you drift away from Christ you will finally incur the judgment of God it is a terrifying text it is a warning passages one of five warning passages in the book of Hebrews And we need to take it as the warning that it is. There's certainty to God's judgment for those who turn away. Let me just close with three points of application. First is for us as a church, we've been doing this membership month and uh, we are encouraging people uh, to... to affirm their desire to continue in membership because there there are many people who have drifted away from the church and and I think drifted away from the Lord and that's a dangerous thing for them to be it's a dangerous position for them to be in and it would be a very negligent thing for us as pastors for us as a church to continue to affirm everything's good everything's fine you're drifted away from the Lord. That's okay. That you're, you're, you're fine. That's that's that once saved always saved men, mentality that that cheapens grace and that and and, and that doesn't uh, understand the 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 perseverance of of our faith. So that's part of why we're doing this. One one reason we're doing it is just any institution needs to keep up with with who's part of that institution just from a legal standpoint and who's making decisions of course that's that's part of it but there's there's a pastoral element to this as well people are drifting from the lord and we don't need to continue to signal to them everything's okay because everything is not okay for those who have drifted from the lord everything is not okay for those who are outside of the church, for those who are drifting from the Lord and neglecting their salvation, they need to understand that they are putting themselves in a position that may, in fact, incur the judgment and bring the judgment of God upon them. And we need to, we need to be bold enough to let them know that and, and, not, and not sentimental enough to just say, well, we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Listen, if, if I ever put myself in a position where I'm potentially going to incur the judgment of God, please hurt my feelings. Please let me know. Please do everything that you can to to shake me and bring me back to my senses so that I will follow Christ. It's a very dangerous thing. These people will not escape if they neglect this salvation. And then individual believer, I would just say to all of us, we, we need to give a more earnest heed. Don't, don't treat your spiritual condition as a trivial matter as we so often do. We all go through those valleys. We all go through times where our faith is weak and where it's a struggle to be faithful to the Lord. We all go through that, but, but we need to hear these warnings when we're in those time periods. We need to hear these warnings that they might spur us on to to shake out of that period of lethargy that we find ourselves in and to pursue the Lord once again. Don't, Don't allow yourself, brother or sister, don't allow yourself to get comfortable in that position in which you're just beginning to drift. It's a dangerous position. So believer, and then finally this morning, unbeliever. This has been directed mainly to those who have professed faith But we have talked about this great salvation and it is a salvation. It says that Jesus tasted death for everyone. If you're here this morning and you've never believed in Christ, believe in him this morning. You're in that same position apart from Jesus Christ. You you stand under the wrath and judgment of God. Believe in him today. He tasted death for you. Believe in him today. Repent, turn from your sins and turn to him in faith let's pray our heavenly father we come to you this morning we praise you for this great salvation we we praise you O christ that you would humble yourself to the point of taking on humanity that you might be a faithful high priest for us and that you might be the propitiating sacrifice that removes God's wrath for us. We praise you for that. We praise you that right now you're interceding for us and that you're able to save to the uttermost everyone who draws near to God through you. We praise you for this. God, I am concerned that that there may be some who are drifting, who are not drawing near to God through you. I pray that you would grant them genuine and real faith, that they might turn from their wondering, that they might turn from their neglect, and that they might embrace Christ in a full way. Lord, would you do that this morning? And we pray it in Christ's name, amen.